you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. All right, we are back at the Huddle Flow podcast presented by Intuit, the proud makers of TurboTax, QuickBooks, and Mint. I am Steve White here with my brother from another mother. Oh, wait, that podcast is already taken. Here with my brother, Jim Trotter. We got our man Thomas Warren. He's still out on the sideline. We're sending love and prayers his way. JT, JT, what's up? We're good, man. Yeah, we, we don't want to lift um... – we don't want to infringe on those copyright uh, uh, trademarks for our brothers, you know, Michael Holly and Michael Smith. So it's all good, man. But just happy to be here. We got one more week to go in this season and we got a lot going on. So let's get to it. What you got? Let's get to it. And we got a special guest, Jim. You know, one thing that you, you really talk about a lot is player transition from football to life after football. And today we have a great success story with Namdi Asimwah. People forget, man. Like Asimawa. this dude, Asimawa. Asimawa. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you pointed that out because it was like Namdi Asimwa. And so we we've already recorded this, and Namdi set the record straight. Of course, post career, but this is what happens. He's Hollywood now, so he wants he wants to add he wants to add another syllable, right? So no, no, no. I, I say this truthfully. It had always been there, but you know how sometimes you say it's just easier to let it go than to try and correct everybody. And that's kind of how he was. But I was a little playfully peeved, like, man, I've known you a little bit here. You, you could have told me I was saying it wrong, you know? So but it's all good. You've only known your boy for like, oh, a decade or more. But you this know? is great. Now, Nnamdi is fantastic because he, he has transitioned to becoming just a fantastic actor. You've heard Jim and I talk about Sylvie's Love, just a great movie starring Nnamdi and Tessa Thompson that's out on Prime Video. Also a movie, Crown Heights. They released a couple of years ago in its film debut. Another great movie you can recommend with Namdi. We'll chop that up. But, Jim, let's bring it back to the NFL because the big news got bigger uh, this week, and it was two-pronged. 
Deshaun Watson, the trade request from the Houston Texans, get me out of here. It has been issued. Apparently it was issued a while ago, but it just became public. But what's crazy is the day it was issued was the day after they announced David Culley to be their new head coach. So clearly it was a strategic missive uh, to say, yeah, you hired this guy, nice guy, hope he does well, but I don't want to be part of it. But, Jim, let's let's address the Deshaun Watson, Houston Texans part. We're not going to play the game where he's going to land, all this and that, but just what got us here because we don't see this often in the NFL, especially when it comes to a young star quarterback. No, I think clearly there was a breakdown in trust between the two sides. And look, Deshaun Watson is one of the stand-up guys in the NFL. And you can go back over not just his career, but his life in terms of how he has conducted himself, how he's handled his business, all those sorts of things. So for him to reach this point, it had to be a significant breach of trust between the two sides. I will say this, though, Steve. I know it's a lot of fun to say, where is he going land? Um, But the one thing no one's talking about is he may not land anywhere. Right. Because the Texans control this. You know, um, if they decide they're going to hold on to him, they don't have to move him. And here's the other thing that's not being talked about. Why would the Texans keep Tim Kelly as offensive coordinator unless they thought they were going to get Deshaun back into the fold? Because one way it's been explained to me is, Look, they know Deshaun is upset and they know that he may stay out in the offseason and he may skip training camp. But if he decides, as many players do when they make threats, decides to come back week one, what they want is to have an offense in place that he knows he's comfortable with and he's comfortable with the person calling the plays. So to me, that says that some of what's been done here is with the mindset that they are going to try and bring him back. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But I'm saying that's what it looks like. What they're doing is saying, look, we know he's upset. We'll give him his time to cool down. We'll try and show him that we have a plan in place. And if ultimately we decide to keep him and he wants to play, whenever he does come back, everything is in place for him to pick up where he left off. Yeah, Jim, look, the final straw on the game of chicken, if it gets to this point that you just described and that we think is probably going to play out, is will he decide to sit out a year? Will he go left bell and say, I don't have to play a year? I've already got the contract. I don't have to worry about free agency tolling. Um, I've got my tenure, so to speak. That is the ultimate play right here. And so, you know, ownership always banks on players at some point are going to say, I'm not going to give up $30 million. I'm on that's money. Y'all never recoup. So again, if they want to play that game, it's probably there, but you know, I want to, I want to talk about this and really pick your brain on this. We're looking at the short term, right? We're looking at what happened since Cal McNair has taken over his owner from his father, Robert. We're looking at Jack Easterby and, you know, his role in this. But let's go back to Dwayne Brown, right? Dwayne Brown, after after Cal McNair's father, Bob McNair, talked about the inmates running the prison, he was like, oh, no, no, no. And we've heard things before about this. You better get me out of here because I'm not I'm not taking this anymore as a black man as a grown man this type of attitude is unhealthy for me and of course he gets traded to Seattle next thing you know last year Bob McNair's health is waning but of course it's still the same culture DeAndre Hopkins gets moved he's happy as hell in Arizona him and Deshaun Watson are cool like yo bro you got to get out of there because life outside of Houston is pretty damn good 
And all of a sudden, Deshaun Watson's like, I'm stuck here. Everybody else is going. Now we got all of this craziness added on to what was already here. Do, do you think the roots in this are deeper than just kind of what we're talking about with the Easterby, Cal McNair situation? Steve, it's about culture, and culture starts at the top. <clears throat> As they say, you know, a fish rots from the head down. And Cal McNair is somebody who was born with a silver spoon. He was born on third, third yep. base. And just because you grow up with a father who owns an NFL team doesn't mean that you know the NFL. And clearly the way that he has handled this team, in my opinion, shows that he does not understand NFL culture. Um, he does not understand the players. Um, he doesn't understand what it takes to truly be successful. And how Jack Easterby got so much influence over this owner, because look, I'm not going to put it all on the table yet until I get someone to confirm. But when you go back, to how the situation was handled from the very beginning with Omar Khan and Jim Caldwell um, to where it ultimately got to, there's a lot of fishy stuff that went on a lot. And so, yeah, we, we've heard a lot about it that we can't, we can't necessarily disclose, but yeah. Well, so, so from my standpoint, um, just the way they do their business is not good. They ha- they now have a reputation and it's only going to grow when the stories about what actually went on get out there. Because look, even up until the end, and I'm talking about uh, Wednesday night, which is when <clears throat> this story about um, um, their coaching search being finalized started to break, they were still calling position coaches and asking them not about um, David, who they hired, but asking them about Josh McNown and what do you think of Josh McNown? McCown, um, McCown. McCown, I'm sorry. Yep. Um, like, I don't know, Josh. Um, what do you think of him? Uh, how would he fit in? What would he do for the culture? All these sorts of things. And of course, we know that Josh is staying on on staff. And so as I look at this, this is all this is for me is this is a chance for them to get a couple of years out of a guy in place and then to promote. Um, Josh into that position. And that's how I see it. Will it play out that way? I don't know, but that's how I see it. And the unfortunate part again is there are so many men, black and non-black, who have grinded their way through this process, trying to do everything they can to get an opportunity to be a head coach, and they're going to get jumped over again. And I just find that to be unfortunate. And one of those men who's ground his way was David Culley, the guy who got the job, you know, that, you know, we saw them interview Leslie Frazier and, you know, Eric Bieniemy and all these other people. Um, but look, this is a guy who's been in the league for, what, 30 years. He's paid his dues. He is 65 sure, yes. years old. He, he comes over from the Ravens. A lot of people have spoken highly of, but he's somebody who kind of came out of nowhere, right, that nobody was really talking about. And it seems it seems like this, this kind of sucks for him. I'm happy he got the job. But this is a job where, Jim, it seems like it's set up where a year or two into this, you're going to be like, okay, let's maybe make that move to McCown or whatever. Thanks for getting things calmed down while we didn't have any draft picks or cap space. Somebody had to take it. We appreciate you. You know, you're going to get a nice compensation. Adios. Thanks for being the good soldier. And, again, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't play out like this. I mean, I remember when I was in Atlanta, it was out to the Michael Fick dogfighting scandal. That franchise was scorched earth. 
and I hire Thomas Dimitrov and Mike Smith, two guys no one's ever heard of, and they build it back quickly. But see, they had the number three overall pick. They had cap space. They could get Matt Ryan. They could get Michael Turner. They could exactly. go out and get all, right. They could go out and get John. You know, all these players. You know, Lawyer Malloy, all these guys. Um, and so the the Texans are in that situation. So I'm just I'm keeping my fingers crossed for David Cully because again, I, I want him to succeed. I want all these new coaches to succeed. But it just seems so bad. And then Deshaun Watson, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think every team in their right mind is going to line up to try to make a play to get him. But I just don't think – I don't think they're going to budge. I think he's going to end up staying there because I don't see an offer that's going to blow them away when you've got the one piece on your team that every team needs. I think they're going to test his conviction. I really do. Because we often hear from players who say they're not happy being franchise tags or they're not going to report or something like that. And ultimately, they end up reporting um, before the deadline so they get an accrued season. I think the Texans are going to test Deshaun's conviction about just how serious he is about not wanting to be there. And here's the thing, I think, and I have nothing to base this on except history. I know that when owners start feeling that players are getting feeling themselves a little too much, they kind of get together and say, you know what? We need to get this under control and we need to put some folks in their place. And it's just a sneaking suspicion on my part. Are we getting to that point now where owners are going to say, what's going on here? Are we starting to let the players dictate terms? And are we getting to a point where there is going to be a butting of the heads here? I don't know. And I, I, I would just wager, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would wager that there is going to be pressure on Cal McNair, put on Cal McNair from other owners that say, do not move him. You do not want to set that precedent. It's just a guess. Woo. So we're going, we're basically going back to the plantation with Django. Um, if we're talking with that type of theory. This is this is the this is the franchise that talked about inmates running the prison, right? Or yep. what was it? You know, yeah, that was it. it, that was. Was it. So yeah. I'm just saying. And then here's let's not forget this. McNair came out later and apologized for that statement. Right. But then after that, he came out and said, He's I regret apologizing for that statement. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just saying these are facts. These are not opinions here. These are facts. This is what happened. So if you're looking at that as an outsider, you're saying, what is the culture within that organization? And some questions well, are being raised. Well, and they're le- legit questions. We'll we'll see if that plays out. Well, Jim, you know we we've got some time on this, but let's let's move on to Namdi because um, I got to tell you, man, this is one of the favorite interviews that that we've done, Jim, because um, he was a great player. People forget how great he was. You look you look through his bio. There's like four years where he was only targeted like twenty times. He was that good, and people he didn't have the numbers. He only had like 15 picks for his career. Well, they don't throw your way. That's what happens. And when you hear this interview, and I, I think I even say it in here, like we're, we don't even talk about him as a football player because he's such wow. an interesting guy. And, it, and his post-career is, is so fantastic. And, Jim, you know him well. This is a great conversation. So let's get to Namdi Asamoah, and then we'll circle Asimawah. back. Asamoah. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> All right, Jim, now we are joined by our special guest, Namdi Asimwa. We would say NFL, you know, 
legend and everything, but I mean, he's he's got like the big bright lights. He, the, the Oscars are on the way and everything. So Hollywood legend, Namdi Asimwa. Hollywood legend. <laughs> Nam, I got to do the. I got to do this to you first, though. All those years that I knew yeah. you when you were playing and whatnot, you never corrected me on how I said your surname. And because I, I always just said like As- uh, Namdi Asamoa, but it's Asamoa. You never corrected Listen. me. Why? No, no, no. Listen, in in like it's, it's funny because I, I always know where someone knows me from based on how they pronounce my last name. So if they do say Asamoa, then I know that they're before football, like that's elementary school or like they know me in like a, some sort of closer sort of world. But for some reason in football, it's been Asamoah and that's like gone across the country. So that's what it's, I didn't correct you because that's what it was. I mean, that I, I'm fine with, with either. You could have gone Dorset, Dorset, you know, you, you, you could have fixed it. That's right. That's, that's very true, but I'm good with it. I like, I like Asamoah. I'm good with it. But I do know if someone says Namdi Asamoah, they know me from football. All right. Well, now, first off, I, I haven't talked to you in forever, man. And, and Steve and I both want to congratulate you on your success. You look the exact same as you did the last time I saw you five and years ago. <laughs> you, so know, you, know what they, you know what they say about black, Nam. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Come on. But, but um, so I just want to ask you, you know, how are you doing and and how's everything going in the COVID world? How are you personally, yeah. um, family wise, everything? Yeah, COVID world has been has been tough um, just because it's I mean, as you guys know, it was much more than just the COVID world. You know, I think COVID sort of and I was actually thinking about this yesterday. Um, I was at the Sundance Film Festival last year when Kobe passed and that was January, it felt like the toughest sort of thing that you could possibly go through, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting there trying to get through the day and I just figured, all right, you know, it's not going to get much worse than, than what's going on right now. And I think it was like a month later or a month and a half later, everything started shutting down. It felt like Kobe was the start of, for me personally, what was going to be just a very difficult year. Um, but, you know, it's I, I think at this point, family wise and personally, I think we're into a groove and, and sort of moving along with it. But, yeah, it was tough. 2020 was tough. <laughs> no, I feel you. It's still tough, man. 2021, we keep saying we hope it gets better, but it still feels I tough. Um, I know. You know, because I, I, I well. I want to get out and see a movie, you know, outside of the home right. or a play. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's been that's been the main thing. And especially with the kids, it's just like trying to get out and, and find creative things to do just so that they're not just locked up in the house the entire time. So it's been it's been tough on that front. But I think we've been we've been figuring it out. Hey, Nandi, Jim was saying he, he wants to go out and, and see a movie. Um but in this world of COVID, I mean, what's happened with Disney Plus and Prime and Netflix and everything, we're all quite comfortable watching great movies like your movie, Sylvie's Love, in front, in front, you know, while sitting on our own couch and sipping a glass of wine. And everything. Do you think yeah. when, when this COVID eventually goes away that the movie theater industry 
is going to be the same? No, no, there's no way it can be the same. You know, it's, but this is, this is, you know, part of evolution, you know, things are always changing. And I think once Netflix started streaming in the first place, it was never going to be the same. And then this just catapulted everything into the next, in, in sort of the next sphere. And, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't think it'll be the same at all. I think people are getting very comfortable at home. Um, seeing what, um, I think Warner Brothers did uh, making this announcement that all of their films this year were going to be on HBO Max. So even if theaters open up, the films are also going to be on HBO Max. So theaters are going to take a hit from that. You know, the world is is changing, but that's what this is what happens. You know, there was a time when it was just black and white movies. You know, there was a Uh time when when no one spoke in movies. You know, it just continues to evolve. For you, what's what do you prefer? The, the the darkened theater with the fresh popcorn and all of that or, or sitting on your couch watching a movie? No, I grew up in the 80s. You know, we didn't have, you know, you guys know we didn't have Internet. We couldn't just you couldn't just stream something. So I grew up in a time where you go to the movies, you get the popcorn, you sit down, you know, the lights go off and, and then you start to get excited to see what happens, you know, and, and just the sound and the whole experience, there's nerds to it that I, that I really love. So I've definitely missed that. But you forgot the most important part is going to see a, a movie in, in a black theater, right? Like, don't go there. Turn on the light, oh. fool. You know where you got people. <laughs> That's the best part about going to the cinema. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Try doing a, a play that is full of black people. So the same thing that happens in the theater when you're watching a movie was happening to us on stage when I was doing a play on Broadway. It was it was majority black cast and people were screaming and yelling in the audience, which never happens in plays, by the way. But that's you know, that's what we bring. (laughs) That's what we bring to it. And And how was that for you? The experience overall. I mean, the experience overall was just I mean, it was great. It was, you know, I, I never thought in my wildest dreams that I'd be doing a play of all things. You know what I mean? Like on stage acting in front of people. Um, and I, I got the opportunity a couple of years ago to do an off-Broadway play in New York. And I just jumped at it. People were like, yeah, sure, go do it. See how it feels. You know, and I just jumped at it and did it and I fell in love with it. And then getting the opportunity to do this one on Broadway really just took it to the next level. So it, it was great. It was exciting. You know, Nama, I wanted to say back when, when you were playing and I actually got that opportunity um, when you allowed me to shadow you on one of your college tours your foundation was putting on for kids. And I always thought then even that, that as good as you were in football and you were a two-time All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowl or all of that, that there was something more for you. And I was always curious to see when you were done what that was going to be. Did you know, even as you were playing or late in your career, that this was the, the path you were going to go, go down in terms of acting? I never, I actually didn't. It's crazy for me because sometimes people see things in me, or I don't know if this is the same in your life, like people see things in you that you don't see in yourself. So even as you say that, and I've had, heard people say that in the past. I didn't know that there was more for me. Obviously, 
my life wasn't going to end when football ended, but I just couldn't see that far. I was so, I was so sort of into what I was doing. I remember sometimes when, when you, uh, when you would get on TV and you would mention that I was acting and I'd be like, and I would like reach out to you and I'd say, hold on, you can't. There was this thing that we used to tell the rookies and we used to tell them, uh, uh, we used to tell them, don't give them a reason. And that meant don't give them a reason to get rid of you. Uh, you know, it was the same stuff that they told us when we were rookies, don't give them a reason. So that meant don't show up late, you know, show up on time, get all your work done, you know, work out, make sure that you study. But it also meant do nothing off the field. Because if you're doing something off the field, then management will see that as you not really focusing on football. Mm -hmm. And so that was always sort of ingrained in my head. So even as I started to dabble in acting and whatever it was during an off season, there was still sort of this fear that I had, like, oh, I can't really do much else, right? It's just football for me, right? That's, you know, so I was fighting that. Um, throughout, so no, it wasn't a, it wasn't necessarily a plan, but I wanted to keep, I wanted to keep my options open. You know, I, I, you, when you play long enough, you start to see that it can end at any moment, and so I wanted to keep those options open and, and see what I could do afterwards, and and then it it ended up working out in this way. When when it ended for you, when did you know this is where I'm going, or was there something else you were even thinking about? There was. So when I was playing, I, I knew that I wanted to try something in front of the camera. But for me, in order to do what I just told you, in order to sort of stay in the good graces, for me, that meant talk about football. So what I would do was I would go in the ESPN or I'd go NFL Network or do something or NBC Sports and I'd just talk about football. So that's what I that's what I wanted to do. And I remember I did a commercial a Nike commercial and the director afterwards just said, you should really go into acting when you're done playing. He was like, this is, I, he was telling me about the players that he had just done commercials with. He was saying how it was just a terrible experience. <laughs> he was like, he just didn't have a lot of fun out there. He said, but, but being able to work with you like this, like I can see that you've got certain, a, a level of talent in this. And so, and he ended up putting me in, his show Friday Night Lights, and I just started to gain confidence from that. So I think there was something that said, "Let me try this when I'm done." But I didn't, I didn't know that it would end up being the thing, so to speak. Well, I, I've got so many questions. I don't want to. I don't want to hog this interview. I got to let <laughs> Steve in here some too. But I got a lot of questions. Well, I mean, you know, to, to that point now. I mean, a lot of people because a, a lot of athletes do think, okay, I was a really good interviewer or interviewee, I should say, when I was a player, I was entertaining, people always came to me, it's going to be easy for me to transition into doing television, and then they get here and do it, and they're like, ooh, that's difficult. Yeah. How much work yeah. did you have, how much work did you have to put in to become the actor that you've become? Because I can't imagine how difficult, because it's not just the acting part, you've got to learn the language, you've got to learn lighting, you've got to hit spots. There's different things that go into it, you're filming out of sequence. I mean, how much did you have to really study to get to where you are now? And, and really having no true idea of what I was doing. I mean, when I came into the NFL, I was uh, a safety in college and 
remember Al Davis wanted to move me to corner and I, I kind of fought that a little bit my rookie year. But, I, but it was also a situation where I didn't know exactly what I was doing. So I had to sort of go back to the lab and just focus specifically on this one thing, no matter how long it was going to take. Uh, and I saw the, the, good, the, the good thing for me is I saw that work out. So I knew that I had a frame of reference from my past that if I start something brand new, there's a chance it can work out. Um, and so when I finished playing, I dove right into acting and I kinda, it, it, it was kind of tough because I had, to, I had to sort of distance myself from other things. So I, didn't, I, I, I wasn't taking the football offers to come speak and I wasn't doing the certain things because I really had to hone in on this one thing. I just remember, I remember what I did my rookie year and it was just, I blocked everything out and I was trying to f- figure this thing out. So I just repeated that. So you go to classes, you train, you, uh, I mean, hours and hours and hours of work to try to make it look like you're not doing any work. Um, And I continue to do that, but it's been, it's been very difficult and it's been a long road and there are sacrifices that you have to make, but it's, you know, I think even for a player that's coming into the business that you guys are in, there's a level of sacrifice if you want to be good at it. You know, there are certain things you have to put away and there's a focus and an attention and you have to study the history and the people that came before you and how did they do it and what worked for them and what didn't and all those sorts of things if you want to be good at it. And so that's sort of what I what I went through. It was very, very tough. And what I'm going through, actually. Well, you're very good at it. Steve and I both loved Sylvie's Love. I mean, I just, yeah. I thought it was so well done. Oh, it what was, a great film. Just a spectacular film, man. Acted, scripted, all of it, man. Yeah. I, I'm curious, how does a project like that come to you? Yeah, I went, I, I did a, a project before that. This is how it, this is how this one specifically came to me. I did a project called Crown Heights. Um, it yep. was a film about it. A guy that was wrongfully convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison, and that went to the Sundance Film Festival, which is a, a huge festival for filmmakers. And we won, you know, the audience award there, and we were getting celebrated, and the my performance was getting celebrated. And so, the director and producer of Sylvie's Love reached out to me after that and said, "Hey, we want you to play this part." Um, and that's how it all started, and I fell in love with the script. And I became a producer on it, and, uh, and, and we were able to make it. But that's how it came. And the producing of it, the producing of it, which I, which I now really love, um, the producing of it came because I wanted to act, but I didn't want to do the basic roles that, that they were giving, that the, you would think the football player is going to do. So I would get those roles of like, you know, the security guard or um, or the or playing myself. You know, I'm the guy at the party and I've got like a, a beer and I'm like, yeah. And they're like, no, I'm D. And they're like, yeah, guys, let's go. You know? I was like, I don't want to do that. So but that's all that was coming, because in this in this world, people don't really know football. So they didn't really they just saw football in my title. And so that's what was thrown at me. And I knew that if I wanted to actually do work that I that I appreciated, I would have to make my own work. So I started producing and became a producer that way. 
You know, it's interesting. I, I saw a lot of you in that role in Sylvie's Love, just in terms of sort of the, um, how do I say this? There, there's sort of a, a regalness, um, a professionalism, um, a steadiness, all of that. And the things that I knew in you when you played, I saw in that role. Did you see that character to be much different from you personally? I did see the character to be um, very different. But, but when I was working with a coach on it, my coach said, bring as much of yourself to the role as possible. Um, and the director, even in talking with him, he would say certain things like, I want it to be nuanced. I want it to be subtle. I don't want this character to be showy. You know, I want him to to feel like my parents. I want him to feel like my uncles, you know, that sort of thing. And they weren't showy in any sort of way. And so I, I went along with that. But I think in any role that you do, it doesn't matter what it is, you have to find the piece of you that connects most with that part and bring that to the table. I think that's the only way you make it real. And we have, you know, thousands of different parts of us. So even if you're playing... Um, Godzilla. I just saw a Godzilla trailer. Even if you're playing Godzilla, <laughs> whatever part of you can connect to that is what you have to bring, as silly as that sounds. Um, so, yeah, I, so I brought that and, and it, it came through. I, I saw an L.A. Times headline that said, um, in describing Sylvie's love, it said, a black romantic drama for the ages. And I wonder for you as an actor, do you prefer to have that as just a romantic drama for the ages or is it important Ooh, for you to have a black romantic drama for the ages boy that's a that's such a great question um because the answer is a little bit of both so it's 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 sort of hard to pin down i mean i think you want it's a romantic drama and you want everyone to relate to it just because love is universal you know, that's a, it's a universal language. Um, so you want it to be a romantic drama for the ages. But it, but we also know that we don't have many stories like this that center around people that look like us. And we want to take some pride in that. You know, we want the, the generations that came before us, you know, that are still alive and their descendants all to feel some sort of... Uh, so this movie Boomerang, you know Boomerang, right? Sure. With Eddie Murphy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so the movie Boomerang was, for me, I mean, it's the reason why I, I majored in um, finance and, and marketing in college was because I fell in love with the character that Eddie Murphy played. And so that would have never happened if I didn't see someone on screen that looked like me. You know, I know he was doing some crazy things. And that might have been the real reason why I liked his character. But, <laughs> but, but, but you have to see someone doing it for you to have that inspiration, someone that looks like you. And so we, wanted, we want that for the people that, for black people that see this film. So it's a tough question because it's a little bit of both for me, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I love that answer because, you know, I, I did this because Brian Gumble was the only, you know, him and Irv Cross back in the day were the only black people I saw talking about sports coming up. And, you, you know, so I love hearing that. But also with the, with the movie, you know, what you just said, 
And, and just the scene, it's the opening scene that you guys circle back with with Tessa Thompson standing in the hallway of the theater and she, she sees you looking at the small sign, the poster. But just the, the manners, the way you were dressed. You know, I could imagine like my grandfather, you know, speaking to, <laughs> you know, my grandmother that just in terms of the politeness, because we as black people know, I mean, we we were beholden to manners and, and things like that back in that way. Like, don't you right. don't you you know speak out of turn? And and I, and I thought you guys nailed that. But I want to go to to Crown Heights, the first movie you spoke about, because I love that movie. It was a great story about Colin Warner, um, yeah. you know, who was wrongfully imprisoned, a Trinidadian guy in Brooklyn. And first off, I'm married. My wife is Jamaican. Okay. Your accent, okay, okay. You, you, it was very good. She said, she said it was West Indian. It, 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 it could be Trini, Bayesian, Jamaican. She yeah, said you kind of crossed her. You nailed it. So, yeah. Okay. So, so I wanted to, how, how hard did you have to work, you and, you know, Lakeith Stanfield to work? Because being authentic is, is, is very important. And, and, I mean, it was such a fantastic film. It's so, such a great story. But the acting of it, I was like, look at Nnamdi do this. Yeah, it's that was one, and especially for that one because it was so. It was my first one after um, playing in the NFL, where I really didn't want anything to feel like NFL in any sort of way, and and I think the authenticity on that one was important because these guys came from Trinidad, they moved to America, thinking that if they were going to live the American dream, and had it upended. So I, I so. I'm just thinking about the accent. So dipping into the accent was very important just so that we can sort of bring someone coming in from one world into the other and, and, and try to see how that can sort of affect the circumstances. So we worked on the accent, I would say, for six weeks, five days a week, because we, you know, we didn't have a ton of time, even though that's a lot of time. Um, we only had six weeks, but we worked on it for five days a week spent time with Colin, spent time with Carl, got their mannerisms, got, you know, just the way that they acted, the way they laughed, the way they ate, whatever it was, and tried to bring that to to the screen. But it's always, again, when you're playing a real life person that's, that's alive, but people don't really know them, you've got a little bit of leeway sort of the, to do what you want. I mean, we, I wasn't playing MLK. And, you know, I wasn't playing whoever, Obama or someone like that. You know what I mean? So you it, might it took a lot of work. It, it, took a lot, <laughs> it took a lot of work, but it was good to, to bring myself to that as well. I could, I could see you playing Obama, actually. I could, too, now that Jim just said that. I could, too. I could not see that. I can't see that at all. <laughs> oh, no, I can see that. Also. Just remember what you said. People see things in you you don't see in yourself. Yeah, that's I can That's see true. that. Hey, Nam, what's it like, the emotions of, let's say, when you sit down in that seat for an opening versus, let's say, when you sit down in your seat as a player on a Monday after a game and they pop on the film from the previous day's game? Are the emotions same similar or different? Same no, same thing, because... Same thing... Oh, because you, oh, here's the difference. Here's the only difference. And I don't, I don't really have that difference because I'm also usually the producer on the project. So I do know what's going in. In football, you remember the play. 
So you, every single play you remember, it doesn't matter what it is. So when you get to Monday, you know when a play that you did well is coming up and you know when a play that you didn't do well is coming up. Um, so it's those, those emotions are always there. Um, in acting, if you're not the producer, if you weren't in the editing room, you have no clue what's coming up because you've done a take or a play 10 times. You don't know which one they're going to choose, you know? So there's, you might even be more sort of nervous and, and unsteady as an actor. Um, but because I've been able to produce, I, I know what's coming because I, I was part of the process of getting it in there. So there is a similar, oh, I, I know this one didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't quite get this scene. Yeah, here comes that scene, you know, or, or oh, I remember this scene. This, this one pr- felt pretty good. Um, you know, so it's the same thing in that regard from watching tape. You know what fascinated me listening to the interview you did with Trevor Noah was he had asked you which would you want, um, a Super Bowl or an Academy <laughs> Award. And the funny thing was you, you had mentioned the Super Bowl because you're done playing and all that, so you know it's something that you can't attain now. But what I also found interesting is that you talked about you still follow the NFL, and for whatever reason, I thought that when you were done playing, you would just be done with it and that you would move on. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. Um, yeah. So, so why is it, what is it about the game that you still follow and how closely do you follow it? I mean, it's the, it is the, I can't say it's the first love, but it is the love of my life. It's the, it's the love of my life that worked out. You know, like I, there were other things that I wanted to do for, you know, I want to play for the Lakers. I wanted to do, but you know what I mean? Like whatever random things it was, this was the thing that worked out that I completely fell in love with. And so you can't separate yourself from that. You know, when that relationship breaks up, you're still trying to hold on to memories. You know what I mean? And so for me, I mean, it's not that I'm, that I watch every game or anything like that. You know, I watch, I, I watch highlights more than games now, which I think is actually really funny because I hated when people watched highlights when I was playing. I wish that they would watch the game. Um, but I watch highlights now, so I'm, I, I, I keep up with it in that way. Um, but I, I, I still love the game. I miss the game. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I miss the guys. I miss being able to go out and, and I mean, it's, you're sort of in your own world. It's like almost like college. It's, you know, and you just don't, you don't have that anymore. So I do, I definitely miss that. I miss running out onto the field, um, uh, the wins, the losses, and still having to come back as a family and try to figure out how you move forward with the next game and all of that stuff. I mean, you can't do it for that long and not miss, miss it in some regard. And so, yeah, I, I, I still follow it. I can't tell you who the top anythings are in the league or like what happened and the, you know, but I'm, I'm watching, like I'm watching highlights all the time and, and, and checking in. Is the, is the camaraderie on a set similar to the camaraderie of a locker no. room? No, no. I mean, you get your, your spurts of it, but I think, no, because with football, it's it feels much more like a family. 
you know, it's like you're you're gonna leave, you're gonna come back. Some of you may not come back, but but you're you're in a battle. Do you know what I mean? Like you're you're battling every every day, practice games. I mean, here on a set, I might see there might be a hundred actors in it. I might see one of them my entire time, you know, because mm-hmm. the rest were shooting in different scenes and you never see them. So you don't get that. I'd say on a stage doing a play that's the closest it gets because it's the same group every single day you see them all and and you're really in it that way but yeah i'm fascinated by this interview because you know we knew Namdi is this great player right 11 seasons one of the best cornerback and we've barely talked about it like we're talking about you know you play but you no i'm just saying i'm just saying because your your acting career and everything in your in your in your, your second life is really taking on, it's, it's really blossoming so well. It's just like, man, I mean, this guy was one of the best players of his era. He was an all-decade player, and we haven't really touched on it that much. And I think it's fascinating because I think you, you're somebody, you know, who's just like so deep because I want to almost skip over that part too because, and Jim knows this well, your, your acts program. While you were a player, you know, you used to take, Every summer takes students to visit universities in New York or D.C. or Chicago or wherever, Indiana or whatever. And I always thought that was so great. Do you hear back from any of those students now who, you, who maybe have gone through that or went to oh, universities? Cool. And, and what are maybe some of the success stories that you hear? And what does that mean to you? That's everything. I mean, when I talked about loves of my life. You know, there's football, there's this axe program, you know, that's that's another one of them. And, and really the one that brings me the most sort of fulfillment. And, and thank you to Jim, because a lot of times, you know, when you nominated me for Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year, um, that just was like, what? You know, no one looks at a, a cornerback for that type of thing. You know, it's like it's either the quarterback or it's, you know, this uh, the guy that plays tennis or the, the guy that plays golf. You know what I mean? Like you just you don't really do that. And I remember that. And I, I remember you coming on, on one of the, the trips and all just everything that you all of that was really special to me. It felt like, you know, a, a, a brother reaching out to another brother and, and lifting him up in a, in a certain way. So I just wanted to to say that, but I, that is the we have success stories all the time. Where I keep in contact with them all the time. I still do it to this day. Last year was the first time in fifteen years we didn't get to do a college tour, and that was because of COVID. And this year we're trying to figure out a way around that um, to still do something. Uh, but yeah, I've done it. I've done every year. I'm still, we're still in contact with all the, I mean, students have now married and had kids and make you feel really old, you know, but it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I can't, if you take a kid that's, who's, whose dad killed his mom and was raised uh, by his grandma, but abused by his uncle then became, I mean, just like horror story would have never thought about college, but always gets good grades. And then we end up taking a trip to UCLA 
And this kid is like, oh, I'd, I'd never, I would have never imagined this. Ends up getting into UCLA and graduating from UCLA and then moving on with that. I mean, you can't, it's just, it, that stuff means the most to me, you know? And those stories are, there are hundreds of them from our program just because they're coming from the inner city. So, I mean, that brings me a lot of joy. I'm, I, I appreciate you bringing it up and, and Jim, yeah, to you just, just thank you for even covering it way back when and 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 putting it on a national sort of level. It was it wasn't about me, man. It was about you, and that that was the thing that was so beautiful to me is that you were changing lives. Because when you get with these students who and Namdi mentioned some of the things some of them had gone through, they might not have even had had aspirations for going on to college or that sort of thing. So for him to do that. I thought was just tremendous, and, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to highlight it. And I'm curious, Nam, this dovetail, dovetails into today because, you know, um, one of the things you talked about with your production company or what's, what's mentioned in the mission statement um, is that it's there to, to create entertainment that illuminates important social issues and influences social change. I wonder if you were a player today after Colin took a knee in 2016, what might that have looked like for you in terms of trying to make change and dealing with some of the issues that, that we're dealing with today as a player? Yeah, I wonder too. I mean, it was like right after I, maybe it was a couple years or wait, was three years. Year left. Yeah, when, well, when two. Colin did that. Two years, right? When, yeah, you when, finished in 14. And Colin and that was 14. Colin was 16. Yeah. I wonder too. I mean, I've, I've thought about it a lot. You know, I've had conversations with, I remember one time I was in a hotel with uh, Vic and Woodson, Charles Woodson, and we were just talking about it and like, what would you do? You know? Um, and I think from the outside, it's easy to be very supportive and I've been, you know, vocally supportive of what Colin did and what everyone has done um, to support that in the NFL. Um, In the NFL is a different story. Like what, because now you actually have to make something happen. You know, it's one thing to, to join the demonstrations, but for me, I think it would have been like, okay, so, let's be a part of the, the coalition to, to continue this and, and create change in a certain way. Um, but I can't say, I don't even want to like, it, it's tough to even say because I'm not, I wasn't there and I'm not in it, you know, so I've just been able to support it um, while not being a player, but they've asked, people have asked me all the time, like, would you, have, you know, you've been right there kneeling. Would you have been, and I always say yes, yeah, yes, of course. I would have been kneeling. I would have been doing this, but it right from the start, you know, right when Colin did it, and I would have been the first guy, you know. But it's like, wait, would you, you know, like what the players that didn't kneel? Why didn't they kneel at first, and why did they start kneeling later? You know what? Ha- so I just, I don't know, I don't know, but I've applauded it, um, you know, since he started doing it. What do you think about now social activism um, among athletes, crossing all sports, really, as a former athlete? I love it. 
I love it because like I said, and some guys have also said this, there was a time where, you know, players were silent, but again, there was that sort of fear of like, oh, you're going to lose your job or, you know, you'll be in bad standing with the, with ownership. But today it's not even close. Like that's not even, you can tell that that's not even a thought with the players. And I just love that. I love how, Younger people affect change more than the people that came before them. It just continues to happen in all walks of life. That's just how it goes. The younger folks are always thinking on like the next level. And it's, I think it's been, been great to watch. It's been great to be a part of and, and, and support. Well, kind of transitioning to the entertainment industry. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of black folks sports wise take their own their own lives, you know, into their creating their own narratives or whatever. But we're also seeing even, you know, what you're doing as a producer, you know, um, we're seeing Regina King, Shonda Rhimes, you know, with the yeah. biggest hit with Bridgerton, you know, the series. I mean, what about, you know, so, so many of, of black voices and black people now taking ownership, showing that they can do this and getting opportunities by the film industry to, to show what they can do? Uh, it's across to me it's across all sectors you know it doesn't matter what the job is i mean once here's the tricky thing though it happens like this sometimes you know like i remember either in 2016 or there was a wave i remember in like 2014 there was a wave you know if i talk to people they'll say yeah i remember in 92 there was a wave you know and the, and then the wave goes away and so I remember this past summer, everything happened with George Floyd. And it's like, this is what we've been trying to say. And, you know, we have to work so hard to just be, you know, on, on the same level and consider on the same level. And you do wonder, is this just a wave? You know, obviously, it, it, the goal is to put everything on the table and make sure that people see you as as human beings and, and people that are adequate enough to get across the same point that you're trying to get across in your work, um, that we can make beautiful art. Um, but you hope that it's not something that's going to disappear, um, especially in the entertainment, in, in all industries, but I know in the entertainment industry, for certain, there has been a, it's been a beautiful wave of opportunity for people of color um, and people that are coming from marginalized communities just to be able to put out work that really speaks to where you're from and have those same opportunities uh, that others have been afforded since the dawn of time. You know what I mean? You know, Nam, we talked to James Lopez earlier this year, or not this year, but during the course of this season, about doing films that particularly connect with a black community. I wonder from your standpoint, how difficult is it to get those films done? Films that are universal, but have people that look like us um, that we can connect to. Like this, like Sylvie's Love, for instance. I mean, bef even before I ever saw it, it had already taken seven years of no's. But the wow. writer just kept working, just kept working. And then I got it and and I had enough relationships to take it to some higher places and they were still all no's it was just no 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 matter what you know and 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 that always happens 
And the next thing that happens is everyone says, all right, we, we got to drop it. Let's do something else that's never going to work. The difference in this one was myself and my producing partner said, if we drop this film, no one will make it. You know, this film is going to disappear. And it's such a beautiful story. And so we went in and said, we're going to make it. But this happens all the time. Find any film. But it's not just films with people of color. Now, those ones are, take forever. I mean, but you can find any film and ask them and ask how long did it take to make. It's just tough to make a film in general. But films with people of color, ask those people. I mean, I, even just this year, I mean, you've seen... Uh, Spike Lee has put out work and, and George Wolf has put out work and, and there's a movie, Judas and the Black Messiah, and there's a Billie Holiday film coming out. And there's, you know, I can name a handful of films. Ask right. all of them how long it took to get made. I guarantee they'll tell you it took, you know, more than five years. Everyone's saying no. One person finally said, okay, and we cobbled money together and we finally made a film. But then you could also watch some nonsense film on some random channel that has like nothing to do with anything. And it was like, yeah, we were, oh yeah, we just, you know, the studio said they loved it. And we, and we, <laughs> exactly. so it's, it exactly. was all good. It was green lit. We were good to go. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so, so how much more satisfaction do you get now when you read the reviews on Sylvie's Love and everybody talking about what a great film it is, knowing that for almost a decade, it was strictly no, 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 no. I, I have to I have to check myself on that because I tend to move on and like everything feels like work to me and I have to and, and people in my life are the ones that tell me like slow down look what you've accomplished you know what I mean like look at the the barriers that you had to go through to get this and where it's landed and those are the moments where it sinks in um, but in general it's something I have to work on. Thank you for this therapy session. But I do have to start to embrace <laughs> the things that have, that have come in my life a little bit more. Smell the roses, brother. Smell the roses Smell the for roses. a minute, man. That's right. I yes. have a question right. for you guys. I, I have a question. What, who? First of all, when did you guys start doing this? Because I had no idea that you guys were doing it. And whose idea was it? Because I think it's a great concept for a show. I'm just curious. Jim, do you, do you want you want to go to the to the to the to the true genesis? Go ahead, Steve. I've, I've been I've been hogging this interview, so I'm gonna let you go ahead. And so, so now, actually, actually, about about two years ago, Jim and I approached NFL Media about doing a podcast, and and it was an unapologetic presentation. It's going to be very black. It's going to touch on a lot of issues. We're going to keep it real. This and that. We were laughed out of the room. So it's very much like a lot of projects. <laughs> laughed out of the room. <laughs> So then in the summer, the summer of enlightenment of yeah. uh, everybody kind of, okay, yeah. out of nowhere, hey, you guys still want to do that podcast? Uh, okay. Yeah. And we're ready. Yeah. So in September, in September, right, is the season, you know, to, so, you know, we, we, we got the podcast started um, and we, we were kind of, kind of initially figuring out what we wanted to do. And then Jim realized we're good interviewers. So let this be an interview driven podcast instead of us just you know talking sports talk let's interview let's talk to the real people and that's why we have people like you on you know to 
to give a different perspective. You know, you're a former great athlete who's transitioned into this great world of Hollywood. You're bringing joy to so many lives from your acts program to making great movies. Um, so to have the opportunity to bring you on on a podcast like this and then the forum that we have, I mean, yeah. Tim and I couldn't be more thrilled. Yeah, yeah no, gotcha. it's, it's, really, it, it's really about trying to illuminate the issues and the people that we want to illuminate um, and talk to and talk about. So it's not just football. It goes into culture. It goes into movies. And it just goes into people who are making a difference and, and hopefully trying to make a positive impact, too. So yeah. when I saw uh, Sylvie's Love, the first thing I said, I think I texted Steve and I said, we got to get Namdi on. <laughs> got to get so, Namdi on. <laughs> you know, so I, I had to I had to jump through some circles because you know you're so big now we can't we can't just call you up like we used to and say hey Nam come on you know I gotta I gotta give them the rundown on what the show's about the topics are about right, That's right. A man he, he he's up there now so. But, yeah, you know, Nami, we work, we are going to have to call Akbar Bajibiamila to you know pull a little few strings, you know. By the way, you the know? fact you gave him, he got an EP credit on Sylvie's Love. That was nice too. Very great. Yeah. I love that. Yes, yes, good for him. I mean, he came in and helped us really in like the final hour, so he was great. I'm gonna tell you this, yeah. Nam. One day when I'm when I'm done with this, or or I have an off season off or something, I want to come and I'll work for free. I just want to be like a uh, what do they call them? A runner or a grip? What oh, was yeah. it? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Something, something. PA, Work yeah. on the set of a movie just to see how it's all done because it just looks phenomenal, you know. Um, yeah, and you just would be a love part it. of that team. Yeah, I, th- I think, I think I would. you guys. Yeah, I think it's great. I think the thing that that is is missing for me in like in this space is just being able to talk about. You know, it's great to talk about sort of all the successes and everything, but I, but there are dark periods that I feel like don't get talked about enough. And I feel like those periods would help athletes that have left whatever sport they played in because we all went through a similar thing. And, you know, some of us have found that next thing, some haven't, but we all went through that period of, um, what is my identity? Do you know what I mean? And so, and I think it would be helpful for those players to hear sort of that we're all going through it. Here's, here are some ways that we've moved on. Um, just because I know I've felt it, but I usually am talking about all of the great things. And it seems like it was like overnight and it was like, oh yeah, just you finished football and went straight in and it hit, you know what I mean? But, but I think there's a, there there's space for that to to be discussed, uh, you know, at some point. Well, I'll say this, and we can wrap on this. One of the things that got me when I spent that time with Namdi in New York with the kids and whatnot is I remember, you have to understand, he comes from a family of very high achievers, academic high achievers <laughs> and whatnot. And I'll never forget the line he said to me. Now, here's a guy who's an all-pro at the top of his game, everything else. And he said, I almost feel like the black sheep of the family. You know, because his sister and brother and everybody else, they're all doing these incredible academic things. And here he is playing football. It was almost like he was apologizing for being one of the best (laughs) quarterbacks in the NFL. So it was funny to me. Still today. Still still today, No. Yes. No. No. You got to see my family like that. 
<laughs> They're like, oh, good All for right. you. Good for you. <laughs> oh yeah, nice, <laughs> nice movie. Yeah, nice. That was a nice, nice cute movie. movie there, Namdi. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Namdi's gonna walk home with it with an Oscar, and they'll be like, "Yeah, just put it over there." You know, like no big deal. So, no, but now we HD. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a blast. It's nice to catch up with you, man. I'm so happy for your success. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Nami, really great. Nami, yeah. thanks so much. Steve, I told you beforehand this was this was one of um, this was someone that I really enjoyed covering during the time that he played because you always knew with him it wasn't you you just based on his family background and everything else that you knew there was just more to him and there would be more from him after he was done playing and he is not disappointed at all. And for anyone out there who has not seen Sylvie's love, can't oh. re- recommend it more highly than to check it out. Beautifully shot, beautifully acted, um, a love story. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's worth your time that way. And, and Jim, you were right. You said, you know, there's so much of Namdi, the real Namdi in his character in that yeah. moment, like even the way he walked, I was like, yes. dang, that's how Namdi used to walk on the field, you know, high pockets, going out there and doing his thing. I mean, it, it was it was so good. But I got to tell you, my, one of my favorite things about that interview was hearing him talk about the success stories from his ACTS program, right? The students mm-hmm. that he helped introduce to college. You know, when he told the story of a young man who had all this tragedy in his life, went to UCLA, and now he's he's doing great things. We always hear about programs that people are involved in. And we hear like, hey, the league is doing this and these players are doing that. But the people who benefit from these great acts, that's the real, as he said, that's that's the real reward. And I just loved hearing him talk about that, knowing the effort he put into it. You covered it greatly back in the day. And, and just again, to, I, I can only imagine being in his shoes, seeing so many people. He said there were hundreds of people. Who come up? I'm doing. I, I just cannot imagine having that type of impact on that many people's lives. No, Steve. The thing that, and I don't mean to minimize at all the people who give money to certain causes and whatnot, but the thing that's more valuable than money is time. And even in the middle of an all-pro career, he would take the time to spend several days or more with these kids, some of whom, in their family, they would be the first to go to college taking them around the country to visit universities and allowing them to dream big and to see what was possible. Um, that was big. So I was kind of surprised when he said he was surprised that I nominate him for sportsman of the year that one year. Cause I'm like, no, what, what could be more impactful or more powerful than allowing young people to dream and to show them what's possible. So um, I've always respected that about him and his family and um, just just a great dude, man, you know, and I'm, I'm sure he's probably happy, too. We didn't ask him about his wife and, and uh, <laughs> we had to be the first you know? people, bro. I know we had to be the first people to not ask him about being Mr. Kerry Washington. So I'm sure he was sky high over that because he's doing his own thing. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad I'm glad, you know, we got to recognize him. I'm just so glad we got to spend that time with him. All right, yes, Jim, why don't you bring us home? Yeah. Uh, Once again, we thank you for listening. Uh, We thank you for subscribing. Please leave us your comments. Tell us who you'd like to hear from, what you'd like to hear about. And that way we can give you more of what you're funking for.
Well, that's right, Jim. We'll give all love again to our man on the ones and twos, Thomas Warren, to him and his family. We appreciate everybody who's pinch hitting. And again, we are the Huddle and Flow podcast presented by Intuit, the proud makers of TurboTax, QuickBooks, and Mint. For my man, Jim Trotter, I'm Steve White, and we are out. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.